Well, I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling the unparalleled love of our good, good Father. And the inspiration for this message comes out of a 21-year journey of watching my daddy be good to me, watching my daddy be good to you, watching my daddy be good to people all over the world. He's incapable of being anything but good. I've also witnessed my daddy pour out this matchless, this uncommon, this unparalleled love. The triumphant grace message has always been about Jesus. He is the unparalleled love of our good, good Father. It was Jesus who rode triumphantly into Jerusalem at the end of his ministry. It was Jesus that rose triumphantly from death, hell, and the grave. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. It was Jesus that rose from the grave and is seated at the right hand of our Father. It's all about Jesus. The Bible says that our Father is the one we give thanks always because He causes us to triumph in Christ. The word unparalleled means supreme. It means matchless. It means incomparable. And it means unequal. And what I want you to see through this message today is that our Father and our Jesus' love can be compared with no other love. It is an unparalleled love. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, we find these words. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. Did you notice that the Apostle Paul said, in those words right there, he says, and hope does not disappoint us. That's really just kind of another expression of who Jesus is. And hope, or the Holy Spirit, does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out, what has He poured out? He's poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In Psalm chapter 62, verse 5, David said these words. He says, my soul waits quietly before God. And I love what he says. He says, he is my only hope. The very next verse. Friends, I want to tell you something. I am not trusting in anything I've ever done. And I'm not trusting in anything I'm doing to get me to heaven. Jesus Christ is my only hope. He is the only hope we have to go to the Father someday. My hope is in Jesus Christ, and He loves me with this unparalleled love of our good, good Father. Continuing in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. I love these verses. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I want you to just meditate on that just for a moment. At just the right time, when we couldn't help, that means we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Friends, I want to tell you something. That is the evidence. Him dying for us is the evidence of His unparalleled love, and it came straight from the Father's heart. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But then it uses those words, but God. But God. Who is God? He's our good, good Father. 
That's who God is. He's our good, good Father, but God. Now, in those two verses, two to three verses, it calls us a sinner, it calls us powerless, and it calls us ungodly. But God said, no, I'm going to take my son and sow him into the ground, and when he is raised from the dead, if you come to him, he is going to wash all the ungodliness away, he's going to wash all your sins away, and he is going to wash the fact that you are powerless. You are not powerless. You need to get that out of your heart right now. You are not powerless. I'm telling you, you're more dangerous to the enemy than you could ever imagine because Holy Spirit is inside of you. You just have to let the Holy Spirit engage you because he will lead you into some of the strangest situations, but you must always say, Father, what is your heart in this situation? What is it that you want me to partner with you to do? What is it, God, that you have in mind? Holy Spirit will lead you there, and Holy Spirit will provide the power for you to operate and for you to get whatever needs to be done in Jesus' name. But God demonstrates his own love. What kind of love is this? It is an unparalleled love. There is no love like it. He demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till you got all cleaned up. He didn't wait till they put the cologne on you and the perfume. He didn't wait till you, as my friend from Nicaragua says, until you got your bompers off of you. That's how she said pampers. He didn't wait till you got your bompers off of you. He cleaned you up with Christ's blood. He's a good, good father. There's nothing like his love. Did you know that there are ministers that are standing in the pulpits of America? And they stand in the pulpits of the world and they bring confusion to the message of God's goodness. I'm not saying there's a lot of them, but there's enough of them out there. Every time a catastrophe strikes, like 911, like Katrina, like the earthquake in Ecuador, like the earthquake in Haiti a few years ago, like the Boston Marathon bombing, and most recently like the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida, these ministers will stand and they will say, that is the judgment of God. That is the condemnation of God. That is God pouring out his wrath upon people for the way they live their lives. They stand behind their lecterns and they misrepresent the unparalleled love of our good, good father by claiming all of that stuff. I have come by today to tell you that I vehemently and biblically disagree with that propaganda. That is absolutely not true, and I can prove it in the Word of God. In John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we find these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. For God so loved the world. Mama, God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he could look down the pipeline 2,000 years. He could see Janet. He could see his darling. He could see Papa. He could see you. And he said, I love the world so much, I'm going to give my only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But then he moves into John 3:17, which we don't quote as frequently. For God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but through him the whole world would be saved. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. If you want to change our climate, if you want to change our culture, if you want to change our crime rate, if you want to change our children, the way I would do it is when they walk into the classrooms, their school, their middle school, their grade school, their junior high, their high school, and every college about eye level, I would have coming in the door, John 3.16 written out right 
there. So the first thing they saw when they walked in every single day, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. And he can say, hey, God so loved my best friend who's behind me. And God so loved this friend of mine that's in front of me. And God so loved my sister who's standing next to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever. And I would teach a lesson just on what whosoever means. I'm telling you, inside the classroom. And then when the bell rings and it's time to go home, I would have John 3.17 on the inside of the classroom. And so that they had to walk by John 3.17. So the last thing they saw before they left the classroom, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I am not condemned. I am not going to walk under condemnation. But he sent his son in the world to save me and to save the world. You know, I'll tell you what, the church does a great job loving us on the way in. Oh, you see, when we're on the way up, they do a great job. But what about when you're on the way down? What about when you're on the way out? Maybe not such a good a job, you know, because judgment begins to enter in. Well, maybe you brought this stuff on yourself. Well, maybe you did. Nonetheless, listen, we all brought this stuff on ourselves, and we still had a merciful God. We had a good, good Father in heaven that had unparalleled love, and he said, I know you brought this upon yourself. All this sin is all as a result of your choices, your habits. You brought it on yourself. But you you know what? Because I'm gracious, because I'm kind, because I'm loving, and because I'm compassionate, I tell you what, I'm going to reach down and I'm going to get you out of this mess. In John 3.16, we see up close and personal the heartbeat of our good, good father. Not only do we see the heartbeat of our good, good father, we see the heartache of our good, good father, and we see the heart cry. Look at that scripture right there. For God so loved the world. That's the heartbeat of God. That is the heartbeat of God. What's the heartbeat of God? Love. Love is the driving force behind everything he does. For God so loved the world. That is the heartbeat of God. And it should be our heartbeat everywhere we go. That I can so love the world. I can love people. And I'll tell you what, there is no greater feeling than to love somebody or show love or express love to somebody who doesn't deserve it. I mean someone who really, really doesn't deserve it. And you know, quite frankly, none of us do. But I'm talking about those people that are way out there on the fringe, you know, that really don't deserve it. There's no greater reward than to express grace and to express God's unconditional love, his matchless love, his unparalleled love. For God so loved the world, that is the heartbeat of God. Now look at the heartache of God that he gave his only begotten son. That he gave his only begotten son. You don't think that hurt God's heart? Oh, you better think again. God wasn't up there going, listen, it's no problem. I'm going to raise him in three days. I'm going to tell you something. That was a heartache for God. And it was a heartache for Jesus. It was a heartache, but he endured that heartache. Thank God he did. God said, I'm going to have to sow my son. That was a heartache for God. Listen, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I lost a son. I know what it feels like as a daddy to bury a son. I lost a son. I know what the heartache feels like to lose your boy. I understand that feeling. But God lost the darling. I keep calling him the darling of heaven. God lost the, the supreme one. God lost the unparalleled one. God didn't have another one. I had two other sons, but still the heartache of losing one boy was tremendous. John 3.16, you see the heartbeat of God, you see the heartache of God, and you see the heart cry of God, which is whosoever 
<laughs> That's my heart's cry. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. His heartbeat, his heartache, his heart cry continues to echo throughout the world as ministers stand in pulpits of grace like this one right here and pulpits of unconditional love and they proclaim the unparalleled love of our good, good Father. Years ago, back in the 1990s, I grew up underneath a pastor. You think I'm long-winded? This guy preached a minimum of an hour, more like two every week, sometimes maybe three. But I remember one Sunday, right after worship, my pastor stepped into the pulpit, opened up his Bible, and he said, are you ready for the Word? Everybody, yeah, we're ready for the Word. He said, I've got a Word for you today. He said, God loves you. He closed up his Bible and prayed and walked off the podium. We're thinking it's some sort of joke. Like, what? There were people there that were actually a little put out because they had drove about an hour. But it is the message. God's Word. God's Word that He loves you should never grow old. It should never grow cold. And it should never grow mold. I'm telling you, God's Word is awesome that He so loved the world. And every time you approach the Word, I want you to start looking for the love of God. Every time you go to His Word, start looking for the love of God because you know what? You're going to find it. Amen. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, we find these words. Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's goodness, God's goodness is intended to lead you to repentance? Do you notice it doesn't say God's wrath? It says God's goodness. Do you notice it doesn't say God's judgment? No, no, God's goodness. It doesn't say God's manipulation. No, God's goodness. It doesn't say God's condemnation. No, God's goodness. And it doesn't say God's catastrophes are what leads you to repentance. No, it can happen in the midst of all those things. But God is not the author of confusion. God is the author of life. And so when we see good things, we know it's from our Father. And when we see evil, we know it's not from our Father. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. And according to that scripture right there, it says that God's goodness, it's God's goodness that caused people to repent. And that word repent, again, it's actually two Greek words, meta, M-E-T-A, which means to change, and noia, which means the mind. It means literally to change your mind. That's all repent means. It can come with tears. It can come with laughter. Actually, every single week that you guys sit in here, you're changing your mind. You're believing more and more about the gospel of grace. You're believing more and more about His goodness. You're believing more and more about His love and His faithfulness in Jesus' name. Oh, my goodness. I want you to see this word, goodness. And for those that will be listening in the future by internet or by CD, you're not able to see what we see on the PowerPoint. But the word goodness, let's just call it the goodness of God. Underneath the word goodness, I have the Greek spelling of goodness. And then we have the English spelling underneath that. And then on the bottom, we have the phonetic pronunciation. So the word goodness is actually pronounced like this, Christatos. I want you to see the next slide here. This is the Christ of God. Underneath that, the Greek spelling, the English spelling, and then the phonetic pronunciation, which is Christas. Just take a look at the two of them together. You have the goodness of God and the Christ of God, do you notice how similar these Greek words are? <laughs> do you see that? 
I mean, with the stroke of a pen, in less time it takes for you to make a small r, a lowercase r, you can change Christatos to Christos. What is my point? My point in that scripture right there, when the goodness, when the goodness of God is preached, when the Christ, when the Christ of God is preached, you leave Christ out, you've got no power. I'm telling you, you leave Jesus out of it, you have no power. But when the goodness of God, when the Christ of God is preached, lives are impacted. Hearts are changed. Broken hearts are mended. People are delivered and set free when we preach Christ. It says that the goodness of God is intended, watch this, to lead us to repentance. Hear the word lead us to repentance. You know, I thought about this. In Psalm 23, you see a picture of a shepherd and a picture of sheep. It's all about Jesus and it's all about the church. <laughs> That's all that picture is right there. Jesus and the bride, Jesus and the church, shepherd and his sheep. And there's two places in there it talks about leading. It says, he leadeth me beside still waters. And it says, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, sheep are really funny critters. Unless you have fed them well, pastured them, unless you have watered them well, and unless they know you love them, they will not close their eyes. Unless they know you care. I'm telling you, a sheep will stay awake for days, man, if, if he doesn't have the peace in his heart. And they won't even lay down. They'll stand up because they feel too vulnerable laying down. They can't rest. They won't rest. But when they know the shepherd's there, the Bible says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. That is telling us in that story there is they've been well fed, they've been well watered, and they know the shepherd cares. They know the shepherd is watching out for them. And the shepherd proves that time and time again when wolves and other animals come to attack the flock and, and they throw that club and they hit that wolf and, and none of them are hurt. They come to trust. They come to know the love of this shepherd. It, it just amazes me, these shepherds, how much they love their flocks. It's so awesome. And the Bible says that he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. I want you to notice it didn't say for your namesake. <laughs> it said for his namesake. It wasn't for your name. It wasn't for my name. It wasn't for our name. It was for his namesake. And his name is powerful. His name has got prestige behind it. His name has got authority behind it. I remember when I was about 19 years old, I had a husband and a wife that just really cared about me. And I started working for them. And I just drove a beat-up car. I mean, that thing was falling apart. It was like a Fred Flintstone car. You could almost pick it up and run with the thing, you know. I mean, it was bad shape. They were very, very wealthy. She said, you can't keep driving this. I said, well, I don't have any choice. I make $2.90 an hour. You know, I don't know what I can do here, you know. And I, don't, I wasn't even old enough to have bad credit. I, I had no credit. I mean, they didn't know who I was. And she said to me, this afternoon, you and I are going to a car dealership, and we're going to find you a car. She said to me, I am not going to pay for your car. You're going to pay for your car. But she said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sign my name on that loan. Because they won't give it to you. But I'll tell you what, there is no place in this city I can't go and get anything I want. And I said, yes, Mrs. Gearhart, I guess we're going to go look for a car. I'm 19 years old. And so we went and looked for the car. I picked out a, a car that was only three or four years old, a 1977 Camaro. And I thought I was just really cool jets at the time, you know. And she just looked at the finance manager and said, wrap it all up. This is the one he wants. I had to sign too, but when I signed, I just thought, really? Are, are we really doing this? But I'll tell you what, it was nothing until she signed it. 
It was nothing until she signed it. But when she signed her name on that contract, I want to tell you something, it was over because it was her namesake that got me that car. And when we think about in Psalm 23 where he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his, H-I-S, his namesake, not your name. Listen, come on. Just lose that thought that you did something, would you? It was his name. It was his name that did it all. It's the name of Jesus. Jesus said it's for my name's sake. Oh, man. I love it. When the unparalleled love of a good, good father and a good, good shepherd are proclaimed, Jesus, the good shepherd, will lead us beside still waters. He will lead us in the paths of righteousness, and he will cause us to lie down in green pastures where we can rest. Friends, I want to tell you something. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that calls men to repentance. This past Friday night, my wife and I, after I got home from work, we just had finished eating in the living room together, and we were just talking. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw it looked like somebody walk up on my deck. And so I went to the door. I didn't wait for them to knock. And when I opened the door, there were three little girls standing there, about a four-year-old, about a seven-year-old, and about a nine-year-old. And I looked at them and I said, boy, you sure are the most beautiful little girls. I said, do you live around here? They said, yep. I said, well, I've never seen you before. I said, are you sisters? Yes, we're sisters. I said, why are you here? And the one in the middle, about the seven-year-old, she looked at me and said, we're collecting donations for cancer. And the Holy Spirit said, no, they're not. She had two notebooks in her hand. I said, you're collecting donations for cancer? Yeah. I'm thinking, school's out? And really, the Cancer Society is not sending around four-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and nine-year-olds. Well, first of all, I said to them, you know, if you collect money for cancer, you've got to give it to cancer, okay? You can't keep it. So if you collect it, you've got to give it to them, okay? And the nine-year-old says, well, we're really not collecting money for cancer. My sister is selling some of her little drawings so that we can have some money. I said, let me see your drawings. I looked at her drawings. They looked like a seven-year-old drew them. There was nothing in there that would excite me. You know, I see that stuff from my grandkids all the time. I opened the door and said, honey, come here. So my wife came out and stepped on the porch and I explained what had just happened. And I went back in and I grabbed a chair and I brought the chair out and I sat it on my deck and I sat down on the chair so I would be eye level with these little girls. And I said, let me say something to you. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with selling things. But from this point forward, every door you knock on, you tell them the real reason you're there. No more stories about cancer, okay? You tell them there because you need some new shoes. And I looked down at one of the pair of shoes and they... They were looking pretty rough. I said, you tell them you need some new shoes or you need a loaf of bread or whatever you need. And I could see the blood drain in their face. It's just what the enemy will do, just condemn us like crazy. And I said to the little girls, I want to pray for you. And those three little girls, I'm not kidding you, they came up to me like I was their absolute daddy, just that close, got to me, and I put my arms around all three of those little girls and just began to say, Father, you're a loving father. You're a good, good father. You're a great daddy. Father, these little girls have a need. They want something, Daddy. I believe that you'll bless them as they go forward and they're just honest with things. And after we were done, we gave each of them a little bit of money, okay? It wasn't much to us, but it was probably a lot to them. But the one thing after I walked away from that whole situation, the Holy Spirit said, thank you for not scolding them. Thank you for not taking them down to their mama and saying, do you know what these kids were doing? Thank you for not slamming the doors in their face. Thank you. Thank you for getting down on their level. See, I wasn't telling them it's okay to go out and lie. I told them it's not okay. 
I said, listen, if you want God to partner with you, you're going to have to be honest about this thing here. But you know what? Isn't that what God did for us? When we were committing high treason, I mean, we were ruthless. I mean, we were vagabonds. And God said, no, no, no. I know what you've been doing, but you know what I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you the unparalleled love of a good, good father. You say, Pastor Mark, are you saying that there's no wrath for those people that have never placed their trust in Jesus? Absolutely not. I am not saying that. I'm just saying the wrath is not for now. The wrath is stored up for later. So if a person dies apart from Jesus Christ, then I believe you will experience the wrath of God because he's done everything to bring you to God. Listen, if you've said all your life, I don't need Jesus, I don't want Jesus, well, then he's designed a place for people that don't get Jesus someday. God forbid anybody goes there, but people do with every beat of the clock. I mean, there's 144,000 people that die every single day in the world, okay? Many of those die without Jesus. So I am not saying that. I'm not saying everybody goes to heaven. I'm not an all-inclusive type preacher, okay? The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it's the goodness of God, right, that brings men to repentance. But look at verse 5, the very next verse, Romans chapter 2, verse 5. And this is the unbelievers. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day the day of God's wrath. There's a day coming for people that have said no to Jesus for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Amen. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3, we find these words. For what the law could not do, and what law are we talking about? We're talking about the Mosaic law, the law that was instituted through Moses. The Ten Commandments, and out of the Ten Commandments came 613 total laws. When the Apostle Paul talks about the law here, he's talking about that law. He says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Now watch what it says. He condemned sin in the flesh. Does it say that? He didn't condemn you. He condemned sin in the flesh. Who did that? Jesus did that. He condemned sin in the flesh. That word condemned is a powerful word. That word you're looking at right there in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, is the Greek word katakrino. It's one of the strongest words. There's more than one word used for condemn in the New Testament. That is one of the strongest words there is for condemn. It's made up of the verb krino, which means to judge harshly. And the word kata, which means down or against. So you have harsh judgment that's coming against you. That's what this word means when it, and it says Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. So when you think of the word catastrophe, it probably paints about the most accurate picture of the meaning of that word condemned. And Jesus said, I brought a catastrophe on sin. We don't need a Katrina. We don't need a catacrino to lead us to repentance Sin was nailed to Jesus' cross so that we could experience the unparalleled love of our good, good Father. The cross was a total catastrophe for sin and a total victory for men. The cross! The cross was a total catastrophe for sin. Our sins were nailed to the cross. Total catastrophe for sin. Total condemnation for sin. Not for us, but for sin it was nailed to the cross so that we could experience the victory in every man. Everyone that calls out in the name of the Lord Jesus, just like Romans chapter 10 says, now everyone that calls out in that name shall be saved. They shall receive Jesus Christ, the unparalleled love of our good, good Father. 
I thought about a song, and I won't sing it. It was very meaningful to me. The very first time I heard it was many years ago at the former church that we were at. But it was called Awesome Love. Awesome Love. The lyrics. Blood poured out. Body torn. Rusty nails crown a thorn. Awesome love. Awesome love held you on my tree. Awesome love held you on my tree. Or another way to say it, unparalleled love held you on my tree. Only you are worthy to receive all I can give. Only you are worthy to be the reason that I live. Only you are worthy to be the object of my praise. And with thankful heart, my empty hands I raise. Swollen face, thirsty Christ. Pounding blows and lonely sighs. Awesome love. Unparalleled love held you on my tree. Sin-crushed heart, broken soul. Bloodshot eyes make me whole. Awesome love held you on my tree. Awesome love holds me on my knees. It's his unparalleled love that held him on the cross. It's his unparalleled love that marries the goodness of God in our hearts. It's his awesome love. I'll never forget when I stood above a grave of a World War II veteran a few years ago when a friend of mine's daddy died. This man had been on the, the sandy beaches of Normandy. He had been in the Battle of the Bulge. I mean, he had a, quite a history. And when my friend's daddy died way up north, he asked me if I would officiate his service. I said, I'd be happy to. My friend said, my daddy doesn't have a necktie. He said, do you happen to have an extra necktie? And when I went to my closet and I started looking through my neckties, my favorite necktie jumped out at me. It was so colorful, so beautiful. And it had John 3.16 all the way down it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know the first words, honestly, that rose up in my mind? You can't put this on a man that's going in the ground. You know what the Lord said to me in the early hours this morning? He said, isn't that what I did with my son? I put John 3.16 in a man that was going in the ground. I said, Father, thank you. I just repent for even thinking that way. I just changed my mind about that. He's a good, good father. In Psalm 86, verse 5, David said these words. He said, you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding, abounding in love to all who call on you. You know, I looked up that word abounding. It means in quantity and it means in quality. You know, God always gives us more than we need, and He always gives us better than we deserve. And David had the heart to this. He said, you're abounding. Your love is abounding. It's in quantities. It's in qualities. Oh, God, this word love actually comes from the Hebrew word chesed. It means the grace of God. That's the Hebrew word, hesed. It means the grace of God. So when David said that, he was saying, your love, it's a, it, he said, you're abounding in grace to all who call on you. You say, Pastor Mark, can you define this abounding love? Oh, my goodness. When the Lord started putting this message in my heart, I said, Daddy, this is way too much of a word. I mean, how can you stand and preach about the love of God? You can preach the rest of your life and not even scratch the surface of God's love. But he did lead me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Let me tell you, this is love. And the first thing he gets out of the way is you. <laughs> the first thing he gets out of the way is me. He says, not that we love God. So get that off your list, okay? That ain't what love is. He said, this is what, really the way you define love. But that God loved us 
and sent his son. You know what he was doing there? He was just proving his love for us. That's all he was doing. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus was and is and will always be the gift of the unparalleled love of a good, good father. The first verse that we sang in Good, Good Father today goes like this. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. And I had to stop when God was giving me that. And I said, wait a minute. There's nothing wrong with hearing a thousand stories of what we think God's like. But when you cross over and you say, well, God heals some of the time, that is not what God's like. God will bless us some of the time. That is not the same God I'm talking about. God will save some people and and not others, even the ones that call him. That is not God. So unfortunately, sometimes in these thousands of stories we hear, we start hearing mixed messages that confuse our own hearts and our own minds. I've heard a thousand stories too. I've heard ten thousands of stories. And you know what? I just sort all those other ones out and I just put my arms around the ones where it looks like my daddy. Because if it doesn't, it's not from my daddy. It's not from him. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. I've heard the tender whisper of love. Love in the dead of night. That's when I got on my knees. It was 12.05, five minutes after midnight. It was the dead of night. It doesn't get any darker than about that time of night. And that's when I heard that tender whisper of God calling me. And when I got on my knees that night and I surrendered and I said, wow, what an awesome, awesome God. And you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. What assuring words for God to tell us that you're pleased with me. Oh, hear the word of the Lord today. He is pleased with you. You don't have to do anything else to make him happy with you. He's already pleased. We just sang the song. Listen, I believe musicians are anointed to write music just as much as ministers are to write messages. I believe God says, you know what? I want to write that. I want to download the words. You know, David wrote all kinds of songs. In fact, before they had Bibles in circulation, you used to just sing the Bible. You used to just sing the scripture. That's how you memorize them. And then we get into, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. I'm glad they say it three times. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. You're a good, good father. You remember when we had record players and they just get stuck once in a while because they had a scratch on them? You know, that wouldn't be a bad place to get it stuck, would it? You're a good, good father. 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 You're a good. Oh, man, wear the record out. Wear the needle out saying he's a good, good father and that we're loved by him because of this awesome, unparalleled love of a good, good father. And then the bridge of that song declares, you are perfect in all of your ways. (laughs) You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. And then it adds two words, to us. You are perfect in all of your ways, to us. You're a good, good father. In Micah chapter 7, verse 14, I want you to hear the heart of God in this scripture here. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pasture land. What do I get out of that? Well, I am a shepherd. I am a pastor. And it was a message directly to me. He says, son, shepherd your people with your staff. The staff is always symbolic of power. When Moses would raise that staff, I'm going to tell you something, man. Lightning got in low gear. When Moses would strike something like a rock, the cascading fountains of the deep would break forth. The staff is a picture of power. But I want to tell you something today. There is no power without Jesus. 
That's there for us today. Moses didn't know who Jesus was, but we know who Jesus is. Jesus is our power. We don't have to go around with clubs today. We go around with Jesus. We go around with the Holy Spirit. And so what he was saying here is, son, shepherd your people with power. Shepherd them with Jesus. Shepherd them with the unparalleled love of a good, good father. And he said, the flock of your inheritance. And he was just reminded me really there that we inherited all the beautiful people that we're looking at. We didn't go out knocking on any of your doors. We didn't have any campaigns in the neighborhood. We inherited you because God planted you in our midst. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. We'll do those things in the future. We really will. And then he says, which lives by itself in a forest. And I thought, God, that's the way it seems sometimes. It seems like sometimes the message of your unconditional love and the message of your unconditional grace, it feels like I'm more like in the forest than I am the city. See, the city, you got a lot of people in the forest, you don't have so many. You can walk for days in the forest and not run into anybody. And I feel like we stand uh, with just a few grace ministries across this world. There's not many. Steve and I were talking the other day and we said, we don't know of any of them that preach the finished work. What am I talking about when I say the finished work? I'm talking about a work that keeps pointing back to Jesus. I'm talking about a work that keeps pointing back to His love. Remember, it was His love. He defined His love in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is love, not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son to die for us. When I meditate on the message of God's unparalleled love, and I meditate on the message of His outrageous generosity, and that's just the way I describe it, in His great grace, I come to the realization that Triumphant Grace Ministries lives more in a force than we do a city. But I want you to hear the word prophesied over me in 1998. I was three years old in Jesus, and I was at a service one evening. I was all the way in the back. You figure if you sit all the way in the back, they won't call on you from back there. Well, right, you know, you ever do that? Well, that minister, when he got done preaching, he looked back in the way back, and he said, you, sir, come here. You start looking around, and the person sitting next to me goes, talking to you. And I'll never forget, I walked that aisle, and I stood in front of that minister. He said this. He said, I see a mantle of power coming on you, and there's a source of energy in there that's going to increase you in your ability to teach. Now listen to what I'm about to say. And the Lord is going to really adjust your doctrine. You're going to see things in the Word of God that you have, quite frankly, never seen before, and it's going to cause some persecution to arise. And those that you thought were friends will be offended at some of the things you say. For the Lord says, you be truthful, you be faithful, even under which I sh have shown you tonight. For I am doing some things that are very important to the sanctification and deliverance of my people. You shall not always work with youth. And I was a youth leader at the time. I was a youth pastor. You shall not always work with the youth. For yea, the Lord has a pattern that you shall follow. And in the days to come, and be not hasty to bring it to pass. For in the days to come, it shall be fulfilled. A people shall be gathered about thee. You shall be known as pastor and teacher. 1998. The Lord is going to really adjust your doctrine. Every time I would look at that over the years, I wouldn't get that part. What's wrong with my doctrine, God? I would say, Daddy, what's wrong with my doctrine? I'm preaching faith. I'm preaching the Gospels. What's wrong with my doctrine? I didn't have the doctrine of grace. I didn't have grace working in my I didn't have the finished work. It was always pointing people to go do this and go do this. and It was more probably good advice than it was anything else. He said, the Lord is going to really adjust your doctrine. And the other thing he said is, those that you have called friends will be offended at some of the things you say. And you know what? We see that happening. We say it with grace. We say it with love. But there are so many people that just walk away and go, 
I think you've lost it, Pastor Mike. I really think you've lost it. You know, this message that we're preaching, the, the message of unmerited favor, the message of great grace, I'll tell you what, will get you kicked out of most churches in America. God is doing the same thing in your hearts. He's taking your hearts and He's giving you an appetite. He's changing your doctrine. He's changing your hearts. He's changing your appetite so that you can truly lay down in a green pasture because you've been led beside a word that brings peace. That's all that uh, when He says, He leaves me beside still waters, it just means peaceful waters. And I'll tell you what, when the word of His unconditional love, when the word of it, this love belongs to Him, it originated with Him, when all that begins to set up in your heart, you know what it will cause you to do? Lie down in green pastures. Amen. In Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 20, you find these words. Oh, again, we're in Old Testament. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Let me just say something about that. When he says you do not stay angry forever, God came across that way in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, not because God was mean, but it was because God was faithful. When they asked for a covenant, they said, we want this in the covenant. If we're bad, we want you to mistreat us. If we're good, we want you to bless us. I mean, I'm paraphrasing this a little bit. So God was just being faithful to the covenant that was in place, not being mean. Do you get that? Do you see that? Amen. So he says, you do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. And that word mercy right there, guess what word it is? Chesed. It means the grace of God. He says, you delight to show grace. It's almost like the writer of the Old Testament had to hide that from our eyes. We can't let him know that. No, this underneath that Hebrew word is the word grace. You delight to show mercy. You delight to show grace. You again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot. Oh, I love this, man, and hurl. I mean, it's like when we lived in Virginia, I'd have one of those big sickles, we'd cut down weeds, and I see that picture of God just taking our sins and hurling them into the sea of forgetfulness to never be brought up again. And we'd never see those in front of us. You hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Friends, the unparalleled love of the good, good Father has trodden on our sins underfoot and hurled all of our iniquities into the sea. In closing, here's my thought. I told you when we opened up the service this morning that the first message I ever preached was on Father's Day 18 years ago. I don't remember a single scripture I used. Now thinking back, I don't remember. I don't remember if I told any stories. But I do remember one thing. I worked with a lot of people. In preparation for that message, I asked the people, every time I would sit next to somebody and work with them, I would look at them and say, when you think about your earthly father, I want you to think of one word that best describes your earthly father. One word. Almost all of them were negative. I had one lady who called him a friend. But the majority of people, I heard words like abusive, absentee. One said drunkard. One said loser. And I thought even back then, God, we've got an epidemic of fathers that have not been close to their children. In preparation for this message, I heard the Holy Spirit say, why don't you ask that question again? But this time, why don't you ask that question to your sons? See, my sons, the first time I asked that question, were little bitty guys. 
I sent a text message to Tanner and Tyler, once in Chicago, once in North Carolina, and I said, son, what is one word that best describes your daddy? Tanner's message came back within minutes, and he said, the one word I described to your daddy is love. How do you respond to something like that? You respond with, thank you, son, love, daddy. I was laying in bed on Saturday morning, yesterday morning, when the one from North Carolina came in at 10 minutes after 5 through a text message. My son Tyler, this was his one word, unparalleled. You see, this message started out as just good, good father. But when my boys said that, I took the words they used and changed it to the unparalleled love of a good, good father. But let me say something to you about this. In 2004, my wife and I were pastoring, and the Holy Spirit said, I want you to sow your ministry into the ground, and I want your ministry to be your children. I said, that can't be you, God. But I know his voice. He said, I want you to sow your ministry into the ground. It will produce a much larger fruit down the road, a much larger harvest. I want you to sow it into the ground and make your ministry your children. And listen, this could we could take the rest of the day talking about how we did that. I followed the leading of the Lord, even though the Word of God was burning in my heart to preach it. And for 10 years, 10 years, I did not minister, other than a few funerals and a few weddings and things like that, just things, but not in the pulpit of the church. And then one went to the army, and one went to Chicago to go to school. And the Holy Spirit said, it's time for you to plant that ministry. And that's where, of course, planting those ministries came from. He said, you laid it down then, you can pick it up now. And he said this, he said, it's time, it's time, it's the right moment of time. It's time for you to pick up your ministry. And I heard the Holy Spirit just say, and run. Run! Run! With the message of grace. Run with the message of His unconditional love. And he said, everywhere you go, in all that you do, you tell them about the unparalleled love of our good, good Father. Amen. Father, I just want to thank you in Jesus' name. Daddy, I've stood here, and I want to thank you that this message of your love, this message of no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus is real. I sense it in my spirit. It's worked its way out into my body. It's worked its way out into my mind and my soul and my emotions in Jesus' name. I want to thank you, Father. It's the only message that I can see that will make a man completely whole, spirit, soul, and body. And so, Daddy, I want to thank you for the flock that we've inherited here at Triumph of Grace Ministries. They're beautiful people. They're wonderful people of God. And, Daddy, I want to thank you that the blessing of the Lord makes us rich. The blessing of the Lord and the awareness of the Lord makes us rich. Father, that we can stand. We can stand and declare the unparalleled love of a good, good Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.